My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Do, 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 do. Welcome to the UK Tech Weekly Podcast, the UK's premier audio block vote, spreading audio fear and audio loathing every Friday. The UK Tech Weekly Podcast is an infotainment hanging chat from the editors of PC Advisor, Tech World, Mac World UK and Computer World UK. You can find us on Acast, on SoundCloud, on iTunes and plenty of other places. Every Friday we head to an audio hustings, making a series of ill-thought-out audio promises, making impossible audio pledges to disparate audio special interest groups in order to bring you no more than 40 minutes of informed tech chat on the hot tech topics of the past seven, seven days. days. Do not forget to subscribe, review and tell your friends. I'm Matt Egan, Editorial Director of IDG UK, and today I'm delighted to be joined in conversation by the President of Podcasts, Chris Martin, Consumer Tech Editor of PC Advisor. All right. The leader of the House of Chats, Christopher Manassians, the staff writer of Macworld UK. Hello. And the defeated and subsequently unheard of vice presidential candidate, Scott <laughs> Carey, online editor of Tech World. Hello. This week, we are talking Donald Daydreams and the bank where every little helps. Everything will be fine in the end. And if it isn't fine now, it just means it's not the end. Don't you forget about me. Don, 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 you <laughs> forget about me. Christopher Manassians. Yes. It's the end of the world as we know it. Or it's not. It's a brave new dawn. What the hell's going on in the States and what does it mean for tech? Well, as some of you might know, Donald Trump was being elected as the president of the what? US. What? <laughs> <laughs> nice thinking there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... It's it's actually raised a lot of questions in terms of political views, but it's actually quite interesting in terms of a tech point of view. Sure. Uh, what happens with the tech industry with Donald Trump at the head of 
well, the head of the the chair show sale in the US uh, controlling head of the free world. Let's say the head of the free, free world. world in inverse commas. Yeah, um, <laughs> and yeah, it, it's just really intriguing because we've got Silicon Valley, and that's some of the biggest companies in the world are over there. And more specifically, at least in terms of like a Mac perspective, for me, it's going to be Apple. Um, or even you, know, you could put in Amazon. Um, so what what do we know about? what Donald Trump's policies or views are <laughs> on tech and how much impact does that actually have on tech? So the, the good question is what policies? That That is the major question because um, Donald Trump doesn't actually have any firm policies on it, but he has mentioned uh, certain things that uh, do raise questions for US-based companies who trade on an international level. Um, more specifically, he is um, against the H-1B visa, uh, which essentially allows people to work in the US uh, for US-based companies, but international, um, internationally based. Essentially, he wants to make America great again and therefore wants people to be employing um, US-based citizens. So do we know, are are there a lot, so you're talking about foreign nationals working for US tech companies in the US? Exactly, exactly Uh, that. uh, Off the top of my head, I can immediately think of a few people I know who are in that situation. So are there a lot of these people? I I don't know in terms of the numbers, like in terms of how many millions or, I don't know, how many people are there, but... But I mean, when, like, if you go to any tech event, yeah. the first thing they always say is how um, difficult it is to find talented, skilled, technical mm. staff, and how they d- generally have to look abroad. And you, I mean, you don't you don't have to look past the CEO level of Silicon Valley Sundar. to see people that are um, not US born. Um, Sundar, Google, yeah. Um, uh, Satya Nadella was born in India. The CEO of Microsoft. Um, the uh, well, India produces the best techies in the world now. Yeah, they? and um, the uh, founder of WhatsApp was um, born and raised in Soviet Ukraine. Is uh, Sundar, is he a US national? Because Satya is, isn't he now? Yeah, um, I'm not sure about Sundar, actually. Okay. Um, I'm sure at this point he is. I mean, is the suggestion that I mean, is the suggestion that these people will not be welcome in the US anymore? Is it just that people they won't be able to be recruited into the US? It's going to be much harder. Like when I was... Um, if you look in terms of like working in the in the US, you already first need sponsorship as it is yeah. from so, the company. So or... if, say, for instance, any of us was to go work in our US office, which does happen, uh, as long as the IDG, our, our employer, put, uh, sponsor us, it's actually pretty trivial to do. Exactly. Because yeah. of bilateral agreement with the UK and the US. Exactly. But yeah, I think this is more be... for hiring sort of external, right. skilled sort of coders or developers. Yeah. So um, the Eastern... The, Eastern European bloc produces lots of really, really talented coders um, in uh, historically and, and Russia and, and getting those sort of people into the US on like a lower level um, will be extremely difficult because yeah. um, you can't sponsor them in um, in, in that way. So um, Donald Trump has said that he wants, you know, these companies to uh, hire more US um, citizens for these roles. But uh, as most people in the tech industry know that it's not as simple as that. They, they just yeah. aren't. It's fascinating, isn't skills. it? Because I, I was thinking this the other day, walking around our own fair streets. Um, you know, education in this country is actually a massive revenue generator from an economic <laughs> point of view. So the number of foreign students within Stones Throw of the office we're sitting in right now is huge, mm. and they're subsidising high-level education in subjects like technology for UK people because they're paying to come into our country and the same is true in the u.s on a massive scale yeah so i I just wonder how this would impact on that as well because you know for people like sundar pichai 
Pichai. 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 The, you know, his life story is incredible, but he was the guy who was the best in his class, which meant that he got to go to university, which, and then he was the best in his university class, which then yeah. meant he got to go to the States to study. And then, he, because he was the best of the best of the best, he got to be the CEO of Google. Yeah, and Satch, you know, that his life story is extremely similar. He did the, he did a very similar thing where he was educated in the US and, and worked his way up because he was just so talented. These people went to education in the US because they felt they could get a job in the mm. US at the end yeah. of it. Exactly. What what about so that's that's the kind of employment side of it, and it'd be interesting to see whether the president actually can do anything like that because there's lots of checks and balances in place. What about technology in general? Is there any suggestion of um, lawmaking around the use of tech? Or well, the, the, for me, actually, the interesting thing is it comes down to well, in terms of consumer point of view, it comes down to price. So right. if you've got a higher well, if you've got more expensive workforce, not naturally your produce. Fortunately, the dollar be... is plummeting off a cliff. So it is indeed, but that, it still does raise the question: as in, does that mean Apple can, not shall I say, no longer manufacture things in China? But does it mean it has to bring more things back into the US? Does it have to, um, even though it's got loads of, uh, should I say, intellectual property in the US? Mm. Does that mean its production? has to come to the US, one, or a certain bit of it has yeah. to come to the US. One of the few things that Trump has been outright on when it comes to technology is um, Apple. He has specifically yeah. gone after Apple and said that they should be producing their products in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just labour, it's also the cost of um, the uh, of importing. The, so you'd have to ship in raw materials. You'd have to ship in raw materials yeah. and then build it. And I think I saw the other day a lowball estimate is that a completely US-made iPhone would cost an extra $100. Yeah. Um, and it's already a pretty expensive piece. It's of interesting, though, isn't it? Because Apple itself plays this game. Because if you're in the States uh, and they're advertising things like iPads, they the ads at the end of it always say, designed in California. Yeah. Um, or And they have made play in the past of assembling bits of products in California. Yeah. It's funny, if you go to Canada, the Budweiser adverts are the same, but the opposite. So it says brewed in Canada. <laughs> like, that's a big buying decision. Like at the end of the Carlsberg ads, where they say the Danes hate to see it go <laughs> brewed in Northampton. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, it does raise the question. It does It does bring a lot of interesting points, um, more for the consumer point, and even for the, the business point of view, like business-to-business relations, how they're going to change. Does, let's say... I don't know if still if they still do. Let's say Samsung are providing parts to Apple. Mm. Are they going to have to ship them over to the US? I mean, the thing is, I think his term is four years, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, right? yeah. Yep. So how much change can he actually implement to these companies? Not in a four great years? deal, typically. I mean, because the because Republicans have both houses. Yeah. Certainly, in terms of fiscal policy, they can do a lot of stuff. So that'll be interesting. They could, you know, taxes can be cut and things like that. Yeah. Um, he will come out of NAFTA as well, won't he? Yeah, I would think so. Um, which will have an impact on um, uh, foreign phone makers um, in terms of selling into the US market. Interesting. Because he's already said that he wants to put a 45% tariff on any imported Chinese goods. So the likes of Huawei are probably not excited about that. Exactly. We'll see how that goes, though, because China has a lot of uh, interest in the States and the US has a lot of Chinese debt. So Mm. how easy it will be for him to do that. He doesn't understand it, to be honest. He doesn't really know about it. He just says, let's just do this. Doesn't really think about it. He'll try his best. What about the the big beasts of Silicon Valley? How are they reacting to this uh, result? Because it is, you know, it is a, uh, whether you like or dislike Donald Trump, 
it is a shaking up of the political norms. Yeah, they're really sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, like the whole of the West Coast was um, yeah. yeah for Hillary, right? Yeah, so, yeah, California. Uh, yeah. Well, both coasts were overwhelmingly Democrat. Yeah, both um, but no, they are. They're, they're really sad about it. <laughs> um, a few people have like collated Silicon Valley tweets um, in response, um, and a lot of them will sort of wrap it up in a we push forward and you know we're positive and we will implement change and yada yada um but in general yeah i mean they're they're pretty down on the whole thing um having sort of someone going from someone who's so pro innovation so smart so um engaged with the tech community as a barmer to someone who doesn't understand technology in any way it, it has to be a bit of a downer mm. he's gonna probably get his like is his son like 10 years old yeah he, he's Blows gonna, my mind. He he's going to get. <laughs> he's going to get advice on uh, tech and cyber from him. It seems. Yeah, cybersecurity. He's, from he's got a laptop, and he, <laughs> he knows how to use it. Yeah, the New York Times said it's like talking to your tech illiterate grandfather, um, yeah. which is which is pretty apt. Um, doesn't he doesn't he think that the US invented the internet? Or? Yeah, <laughs> I think he said that. Yeah, he said we made the internet. Yeah, and, and we're getting beaten at it. They were they were involved <laughs> in making the internet. Yeah. Um, in terms of sort of actual sort of Silicon Valley heads, um, PHI, as we said earlier, has been outspoken um, against Trump. So has Benioff at Salesforce. Um, and then uh, Zuckerberg's a really funny one because his lead investor, Peter Thiel, is like the only person oh. in Silicon Valley who has been supportive <laughs> of Trump. So he has to kind of... Be a little bit careful. And then the really interesting one is Jeff Bezos at um, Amazon because they have quite a public beef because Bezos um, owns the Washington Post, which um, have investigated Trump's tax um, and things like that. So they've been um, going head to head. And the way that Trump will try and get at Bezos will be with corporation tax. It'll be really interesting to see if he starts trying to get the Googles, the Apples and the Amazons to pay more than the 0.1% corporation tax they pay at the moment. Well, that wouldn't be a terrible thing, would it? Absolutely not. I mean, if there is a silver lining, it would be nice to see them actually go a bit harder on that. Interesting personality clash, that, because Bezos is the anti-Trump in that he's all business and no flash. Yeah. You know, their offices are famously uh, run down and, and cheap, and it's all about building a a business that makes margins rather than showing um, power and wealth and success. Yeah. Whereas Trump has successfully ruined several businesses but manages to sort of maintain a profile which actually in its own way in a country like the States does keep you afloat. Well, yeah, he flies around in a literal gold plane. (laughs) So he doesn't get much more on the nose than that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Final question. Um, Are there, do we know, are there any sort of privacy issues around this? The US is pretty uh much as a government it's in the pockets of its uh subject citizens sorry those citizens they were subjects um and but yet trump would sort of position himself as a libertarian but i can't help but feel he probably would quite like to have lots of data on his citizens snowden's comment on this is genuinely one of the more terrifying things i've ever heard (laughs) is when he said um basically any president that comes in um has the ability to quite easily get access to everything the NSA has on people, and he called it a turnkey tyranny, right? Which terrifies me. Um, well, the good news is that uh, we are uh, even worse than the states. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, yeah. I mean, um, we'll get onto that with the with the breach. And I, for one, 
welcome our new leader. <laughs> Good. Okay, let's quickly go around the room. Uh, you've been trumped or take a ticket to Trumpton. Scott Carey. You've been trumped. Christopher Manassia. You've been trumped. Chris Martin. You've been trumped. That is a fairly clear take that donald we managed to keep that quite polite yeah and techy (laughs) yeah so you know that's good all right we'll take a short gap and when we come back we'll talk about something much happier my business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments then tap to pay on iphone and stripe came along and changed everything with tap to pay on iphone and stripe i streamlined my payment process effortlessly Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cheer up, Chris Martin. Oh, what could it mean to a daydream believer and a homecoming queen? Chris Martin, are you a daydream believer? I am. And I'll tell you why. (laughs) (laughs) This is great podcasting. So this week, Google has launched its new VR headset. Um, and it's kind of an evolution of the cardboard yeah. one, which was just made of cardboard. Um, and so it's one that you put your phone in. It's not like the HTC Vive. Or... So like the Samsung uh, VR? Yeah, yeah, similar to the Samsung VR. Probably that's its closest rival. Um, so that, that that one you put your Samsung phone in, obviously. Um, and this new one you can put um, lots of phones in, or you will be able to anyway. So it's, it's a more... Um, finished headset if that's the right word yeah it's more of a kind of because cardboard was like willfully heath robinson wasn't it you yeah you, you cut it out and yeah and it had velcro on it and yeah. and um it was all a bit basic but that was kind of the idea and even, this is even the samsung one where you can like see the phone on the front looks quite basic so they've kind of covered yeah. it up on you can one. cover it up on the samsung it's got like a plastic oh, cover okay. that clips on over but yeah you, i think you can just about see the phone through yeah. that um, so this one's it looks really nice. It's um, it's made of fabric, or it's got a fabric coating anyway, 
um, and it's, it's it's got a plastic core, so it's nice and light. Uh, comes in some really nice colours, um, and you slot your phone in the front, um, but it's not got quite the support of the cardboard yet because you need a Daydream uh, compatible phone, and there are basically only two at the moment, and that would be Google's own Pixel phones. Yeah. So they're the only ones that will work with it at the moment, but there are lots more coming. So you've got a Google Pixel phone, say. Let's just imagine that. Yeah. How much does the Daydream then cost you? The actual headset is only 69 quid. Okay. Uh, and it came out yesterday. Um, so obviously that's that's pretty cheap compared yeah. to something like the Vive, which yeah, is yeah. like 600, you know, over how, 600 pounds. How does pounds. it uh, compare in terms of content or games or... Um, so the content is a lot less at the moment. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure why you can't use... I don't think you can use anything that you could use on cardboard. You can't just use on Daydream. Right. It's a different app. It's a different set of content. So um, they're reliant on games makers or experience makers creating uh, content specifically for Daydream. Yeah, I think so. You can okay. do 3D YouTube. Yeah, you can do YouTube. Um, I think there's Netflix or if that's, that's coming at least... Um, yeah. There's there's a few little kind of mini games and stuff at the moment. Um, I mean, I've only we've got a review sample, but it only arrived yesterday, and I wasn't here, so I haven't actually used it. <laughs> yeah. I haven't actually used it properly since the Google event, yeah. um, which I just had a quick go on lots of different things. Um, one of the main things people will be excited about is the Fantastic Beasts right. experience, which they've you know teamed up with J.K. Um, Rolling for. Um, very important which is to say rolling cool. there in case people thought it was JK from Jumeirah. Park. Yeah. It's really a very different experience. <laughs> yeah, that would be an interesting one. Um, so, yeah, at the moment, there's just the Pixel and the Pixel XL that you can use with the headset. Um, but they did say that there would be at least some more by the end of the year, okay. including Huawei. But they uh, Huawei just launched the Mate 9, right? which they didn't mention anything about Daydream yeah. support. So that was a bit weird. But hopefully there'll be some more soon. I missed the chance to make a virtual insanity joke there. You did. You certainly did. We've we've, we've done that before. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so this is interesting because you kind of feel like they would need, if this is going to be mass market, maybe that's not the intention, but it would need uh, the support of people who make experiences and games, which in return probably needs a lot of people to have the device, which needs a lot of phones to be compatible with the device. Yeah. What's Google hoping to achieve here? I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> um, I guess we'll find out. But yeah, the, the lack of support is a bit of an issue when you could basically use anything in cardboard, yeah. um, but you've got to have a Daydream compatible phone. I don't even know what the requirements are for a Daydream compatible phone. I mean, it connects. It's a, um, Obviously, it's using the phone, but it connects to the headset wirelessly. Right. So... Yeah, um, and via NFC. So when you, it's quite a nice experience because when you slot it in the front and and put the front back on to hold the phone in, it all just automatically does everything because the NFC chip detects that the phone's there, launches the Daydream app. So when you, you know, by the time you get around to putting the headset on, it's all there, ready to right. go. Um, so you don't need to like faff around opening the app, then putting the phone in and and stuff. Um, and the, one of the major differences compared to like the Gear VR or a lot of other headsets, is that it comes with a controller, which is a, which is wireless. So it's just like a tiny little TV remote. And that's kind of like a Wii remote, so it's got you know, motion sensors and, okay. and gyroscopes. So you can, uh, it, you know, it gives you a mouse pointer in the 
you know in the in the app and it just makes it a lot easier to use because uh, you've got that in you don't have to look at something for a length of time to so that it knows you're trying to load that thing yeah uh, and in like in, in stuff like Fantastic Beasts, it's your wand, so it just kind of gives you that really nice Sounds pretty cool. VR and, and it almost sounds a bit sort of Wii-like in the sense that yeah. maybe this is the kind of um, more accessible, uh, more kind of social... I don't want to say lower, because that's pejorative, but but let's say lower end of the market kind yeah. of um, fun games rather than um, hardcore serious gaming. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, it's much more casual than the, than the Vive or the, the PlayStation VR, yeah. which is... And priced know. as such, I guess. Yeah. Okay. It does sound like a bit of a wait and see at this point. I don't think I'll be bit. rushing out to buy it because um, you never know if the price is going to come down as it sort of improves. Well, you never know Google as well because, it, because the nature of Google's kind of everything's a beta approach is they do occasionally throw these things out like sometimes with the like we talked about this the other week with the nexus phones it was to make a market for android and it worked but then we don't really understand why they're making the pixel phone now it sort of doesn't make any sense and then they throw this out it could be that google really intends because it's google's talked often in the past about ar being hugely important to it so maybe it's part of that that they're trying to build this kind of mass of people who are looking at google devices and seeing the world through them or maybe it's just a thing that someone made and they think it's quite cool, so they've stuck it out there just to see what happens. Yeah. The, the thing for me is that when do people actually use that? So I've got a headset myself. It's just like one of those cardboard-esque yeah. ones, except it's just like a full plastic one. It was super cheap, came on Amazon. Um, but I've hardly used it. It's just sat under my bed yeah. the most most of the time because you think of when are people actually going to put their phone in to their VR headset in order to watch VR content, which is already few and far between, in my opinion, even on YouTube, like even cardboard 3D, 360 videos on YouTube, are actually quite rare to find. Not rare, but they're not that common. Um, I'm just trying to think, like, someone gets home, puts this headset mm. on, and then sits in their room looking at a video or playing one game or two yeah. games on a single phone. It just and then and then on top of that you've got the price, which is what well, as you said, like what, sixty, seventy quid. It just doesn't make sense to me. Like why would why would it needs someone a content ever do that? spot, isn't it? It needs Yeah, not only it needs, needs a compelling game, say, or yeah. two. It it needs something that will actually drive people to do it because as far as I can see, like the five um and the Oculus, they've got their market. Those are the hardcore gamers that really want to play and they're well, gonna set up a room for and it. And the PlayStation and a Playstation, VR yeah. Has got PlayStation users, and as we've discussed previously, although it's not cheap, it's a uh, it's a relatively affordable extension if you're a PlayStation gamer. Yeah, exactly. Whereas this is kind of. I think yeah, the, I think the Daydream View is kind of aimed at people interested in VR, maybe never used it before, mm. and just are intrigued as to what it's like. And if they've got a Pixel phone or eventually a phone that happens to be Daydream capable. 69 quid isn't that much yeah, to spend. It's not an outrageous amount of money, is it? And it's a nice looking product, so you're yeah. getting quite good value there. And there are strategic goals for Google there because if it means people are consuming VR content from YouTube, that's a good thing for Google. Yeah. And as I say, they have talked often over a period of many years about augmented reality and how that's kind of the future of search. And they want you basically to be walking down the road looking through one of these headsets, yeah. um, ordering coffees with your eyes. A weird dystopian future world. I mean, whether or not people then use them, like you say, like you know, 
a lot or every day or you know i don't know it is a bit of a novelty still i think yeah. um but you know it's it hinges a lot on the content as we've already said so wait and I see guess we'll see yeah yeah okay cool uh let's go around the room uh, i'll see you in my daydreams or in space no one can hear you daydream <laughs> scott carey in space, no one can hear you daydream. Christopher Manassians. <laughs> Let's go gravity. Okay. Chris Martin. I'll see you in my daydreams. Lovely that, stuff. Lovely. The first one? Yeah, yeah I, like, I like a split boat. Cool. Uh, not all split boats. We, <laughs> we'll take a very short break. And when we come back, we'll be talking about Tesco Bank. Thank you very much for the Aintree Eye, and thank you very much, thank you very, very, very much. Scott Carey, why would we be better off carrying our money around in stripy plastic bags? <laughs> very good question. Um, Tesco Bank, the bank from everyone's favourite supermarket, uh, was subject to a huge breach of security this week. Um, it, the biggest of any bank in the UK, um, and also it, it's pretty much on the same scale as the huge Talk Talk um, customer breach, um, which happened last year. Um, so yeah, essentially, you, you would have been better off just putting your money under your mattress. So is, is Tesco Bank an actual thing, or is it a white-labeled version of another bank? No, so it was. It was a 50-50 venture between RBS and Tesco, right. the supermarket chain, um, back in '97. but then Tesco um, bought out RBS um, after the financial crash. Right. Um, so it is um, wholly a part of Tesco PLC. It's just another of the many revenue streams. Um, and how do we know how this happened? Is it something they did wrong? Or? So not yet. Um, many sort of security experts are saying that a breach of this scale means that it probably has to have come somewhere from an internal... Ooh issue dun, dun, or dun. a breach via their mobile application which is less secure right um but this is this is a really nice early challenge for the new national Cybersecurity center which we spoke about a couple of weeks ago which has been set up um this will be their first big sort of project and what they'll do is they'll work with tesco bank to work out where the breach came from um they will go after anyone responsible and try and um prosecute um so hope and their their new thing is to be really really open about this sort of thing. So hopefully we'll as a public we'll find out find out and then they'll try and ease concerns around this because this has huge implications for any bank that isn't the big four, right? Um, because just natural lack of trust here. Like yeah, yeah, of course. Switching over to a bank like Tesco Bank requires a little bit of a leap of faith, um, and then when you have to worry about them not being as secure as the banks that have you know millions and millions to throw at this uh, that that has to be so, a huge so what, concern. How, how, if i if i was a tesco bank customer what would i i've experienced or if... so uh, it was only a small amount of the actual customers which had money taken from them so i think the breach was something like 130 current 130,000 current accounts were breached but only 9,000 accounts had money taken out but of those 9,000 accounts, 2.5 million pounds were stolen. Bloody Whoa. hell. Tesco immediately, <laughs> Tesco Bank immediately reimbursed all 9,000 of those customers. Right. Naturally. So is that going to cost Tesco two and a half million quid? That's going to cost them two and a half million quid. Unless they can somehow manage to claw it back, which they generally don't. Money um, spilled in aisle seven. Money spilled in aisle seven. <laughs> what is really troubling for Tesco Bank is that um, the uh, GDPR 
now really comes down heavily on anyone that gets breached in this way. Yeah, and they are currently looking down the barrel of a two billion pound fine for this data breach. Considering that Tesco Bank only makes one billion in revenue every year, <laughs> that could floor them. Could finish it off, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, basically, I think Tesco would have to, at some point, decide whether they want to close it or... Just give it or, away to another bank, I suppose. Yeah, or try and use their other revenues to dig it out. But mm. I'm, I'm not sure at this point, with the lack of trust and, and the reputational damage, that it's it's a venture that they'll, they'll sort of go forward with. Wow. So if I'm a customer of Tesco Bank, should I be doing anything right now? Uh, if I was a customer of Tesco Bank, I'd probably switch. <laughs> Yeah. Since Just, you say that though, because it's unlikely they're going to get done twice, isn't it? I mean, you would think that they would. If any, I don't know. This is probably me just being an optimist, but if you, if you're, you know, it's like if someone makes a mistake that costs you a million pounds, you just paid a million pounds to learn learn a lesson. Mm. And, um, I don't know. You, yeah, you would think that, and obviously they will be in the, behind the scenes. They'll be doing absolutely everything they can to try and um, patch this up and to try and secure themselves in the future. Mm. The problem is um, that sort of cybersecurity isn't that simple yeah and um you patch one thing but there's there there are still you're still sort of addled with with vulnerabilities get a copy of Norton, lads. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> so i mean it'll be interesting to see how the cybersecurity center reacts yeah. and if it, if it gives them some advice um but I, I think it's the it's the trust issue here like if i was with tesco bank it, it's going to cost me nothing to switch my account I, I think i'd just switch yeah well and the other banks will be sniffing around won't they They'll absolutely so is this a new bank old bank thing can we can we trust the new banks i think that absolutely not like the 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 old banks are no more secure than the new banks just because they've got more money to throw at cyber security um the the problem is the 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 changing landscape of cyber security means that they've got these big sort of firewalls up Mm. but they've got you know huge amounts of legacy infrastructure they've got mobile applications legacy code all over the place all over the place so they are all addled with vulnerabilities it's just the big banks have slightly more resource to try and like they've got that big old scary looking horse as well haven't they which would scare off they have uh, which would scare off sort of physical (laughs) combatants Mm. Um, but no, I think, and I think the real challenger banks, the real digital first guys like the Atom banks or yeah. the Monzo banks, they they know how important this is um, for them. They know that if they were to have a breach, that would pretty much floor them overnight. Well, and, and I suppose, unlike as you described Tesco, which was kind of uh, hived off from RBS, mm. those those guys are building their banks from the ground up. So they're building their tech from the ground up. We discussed yeah. this before, didn't we? They, yeah. They're like, one of them, I think, maybe it was Mondo, has actually bought off the peg software. But Atom, it's the other way. So Atom bought off the peg, right. Monzo bought, built theirs from the ground up. Yeah. But either way, it's sort of starting with a clean, secure system. Yeah, you make sure that everything you build is as secure as possible for like modern attacks. Mm. Whereas um, the other guys are generally trying to sort of patch up the aeroplane while it's in the air. There's just one thing though. You're just saying about if it would happen again, and would you be, would you keep your money in Tesco Bank? Hackers are out there to prove a point. Often, mm. like with PlayStation, I think they hacked it several times, and well, Xbox, they... and they did it several times just because they were like, you still haven't patched it up. They see and... a vulnerability yeah. and they go after it. That's exactly what they do. Exactly. So it'd be interesting to see if if. Tesco, as you said, would survive, but let alone these other banks. Yeah. If if they'll now be going after other banks, going, oh, these guys got hacked, and other big hacker groups come across and go, we could do that too. We want to prove a point too. It's an interesting um, 
point in terms of where finance and government meet as well going back to the original conversation is you know where where does responsibility lie as well and this is the sort of thing that's very difficult for governments to regulate because they don't understand it yeah for a start um and they, they sort of bring down these huge draconian fines to try mm. and force the banks to take this sort of stuff really seriously um but i still don't think they they really are um i I think the telco's got a real big sort of shot in the arm with the tool tool thing and they realised that they had yeah. to, to bulk up and this might do the same thing for a lot of the smaller banks. They might think, okay, we really have to do something about this now. Well, yeah, because I mean, one of the, it was a, it was a small part of it, but one of the, one of the things that happened that led us into the financial crisis of 2007, 2008 was that it was cheaper for banks giving credit to just not worry about security to an extent uh, and certainly to not worry about knowing the identity of the people to whom they were giving credit because they were making so much money it was the, the, the real sort of metric of success was how quickly can we get credit to a person yeah rather than how secure are we well yeah two and a half million wouldn't have worried them a huge amount no. it's it's the reputational damage and now mm. the fines that really put them off hmm okay uh interesting times let's quickly go around the room then thank you very much or what a bunch of bankers scott carey what a bunch of bankers chris martin what a bunch of bankers chris martin what a bunch of bankers that's very much a consensus on tesco bank being a bunch of bankers thank you for listening to this edition of the uk tech weekly podcast uh, do get in touch to let us know your thoughts and opinions and to shake us down for cash or indeed if you are interested in advertising you can tweet us at uk tech podcast or email editor at idg.co.uk and we will be back next week presuming the world still exists with more informed opinion on the hottest topics in tech so until then don't forget to subscribe reviewers and tell your friends uh, and until then, <laughs> say goodbye, guys. Thanks, guys. See Bye. You. UK Tech Weekly Podcast. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, Visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.